Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Today we're pleased to present Building Products Customers Love. I'm Jeanette DePatty from the Lean Startup Conference happening November 16th through 19th in San Francisco. Visit leanstartup.co for more information. Our speakers today are Tom Wynn and Kirsten Kluthy, who will be moderating questions from the audience. Tom Wynn is a principal at Adobe overseeing product management for next generation creative tools. He is pioneering new product design and development approaches and launched Adobe's first product using lean methodologies. Tom created and leads Adobe Voice, a visual storytelling tool now used by millions. Yahoo tech editor David Pogue called it one of the simplest, most creative, most joyous apps ever written. Apple named it one of the best apps of the year. Previously, Tom oversaw video and gaming products at Adobe used by over 1.3 billion people. He also managed social media and strategy at Reuters and taught design thinking at Reuters Innovation Studio in New York and London. While there, Tom launched the first user-generated news service at a global news agency, and he was selected as an Emmy Award finalist for his work in interactive media. Tom also serves on the board of Inforum at the Commonwealth Club, the largest and longest-running public forum in the United States. He holds a bachelor's degree in computer science from Stanford University, an MA in education from Stanford, and an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. He gets excited about great stories, traveling, and eating things he can't name, and colorful, interlocking Danish bricks. Kirsten Kluthy is the editorial director for the Lean Startup Conference. Here's a few housekeeping notes. We'll take questions from the audience via the live chat. If you'd like to ask a question, please flag it with the letter Q followed by a colon. The speakers will answer questions throughout the webcast. There's no need to ask your questions twice. This is a, a one-hour program, and the recording will be available a few days after this live webcast. Take it away, Kirsten. Thanks, Jeanette. Hi, Tom. How are you? Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh... It's great. Um, so to get started, why don't we talk a little bit about your work at Adobe? Can you tell us what you do? Um, what's your day? What's your day like? Sure. Um, so I um, so I'm a principal at Adobe, uh, looking after product management there. So we have um, so this group that Jeanette mentioned, Next Generation Creative Tools, and there we're kind of thinking. So of course. Adobe makes a lot of great tools for amazing creative folks, Photoshop and Illustrator and Premiere, and you know, if you're seeing something visual in the world, there's a, there's a good chance that uh, an Adobe tool has touched it. Um, and so we're kind of looking at like, how do we expand that to, to help more people um, so that folks even beyond you know, folks that have had four years of design school or film school and you know, those kind of amazing artistic folks, um, thinking about everybody else. Like how can we help everybody else create things that are visually beautiful, um, narratively impactful? Basically, you know, thinking about how do we democratize storytelling so everybody can tell stories well? Great. So what is, um, what's your approach when you're designing a product? What do you think about as you start something new? Yeah. So generally, like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a very positive person, um, but in the context of product, like, all I can think about are problems. Um, and in, in particular, um, the, prom this, the problems that people have. I think um, thinking about you know, one of the things we, we use and talk about and apply quite a bit is this notion of empathetic design. And a big part of that, a big part of empathy is understanding the problems that people have. And I think um, the root of pretty much every great product has been like the right problem um, for the right person. Um, and so 
uh, the genesis of a lot of the work that we do comes from um, yeah, thinking about like who are these groups that have big, significant, um, needy problems, and what can we do to, to make their lives better? Um, so in the case of voice, so voice is um, just kind of real quick. It's um, Adobe Voice is an iPad app. Um, it's free to download, uh, free to use. Uh, basically lets people make um, quick animated explainer videos. So there's like 90 second, two minute videos you've probably seen on like every organization's website or product website that says like this is what we do or this is who we're trying to help and um, this is you know what we're you know, this is how to make things better and like here's some call to action. Um, those videos we found like a lot of people wanted to make those videos because they're super effective. Um, and so there's kind of you know, background research into that. I mean talking to lots of folks outside the buildings like one of the big big things from Lean that you know, that we've kind of internalized and really taken to heart. Um, and when you do that, you find like, oh yeah, people are paying you know, ten, fifty thousand dollars to make a two-minute video. Um, and for a lot of folks, you know, so they do it, and it's incredibly worthwhile because those videos get like twenty percent better conversion. Like they make things more, their pages and their products more effective. Um, but what about everybody else? Right? There are so many organizations. Think of like nonprofits or small businesses that want to be able to do that too. Um, and so that was kind of the genesis of voice, is this big problem of like, how do you communicate an idea in an impactful way uh, online? And how do we make that easier so it's cheaper and faster and more fun? Uh, um, so I want to I wanna just talk about that a little bit more because I'm curious about how you, you got to, that's a very specific problem to solve. Yeah. Um, so how did you even get to that point? Because you, were, you, were you thinking about doing something else and you found that that was actually what people needed? Or how did you yeah. get there? Actually, so <laughs> it's funny. So I um, mentioned like lean, voice has been interesting because it's really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been awesome that it's turned out well and millions of people are using it and it's like, beloved in the app store. Um, but it's actually the first time we've really released a commercial product like from start to finish using Lean. Um, so I can talk about the kind of traditional way we've done things. Um, you know, Adobe is an awesome company, I think, I'm biased, but it's also a 33-year-old company, right? A 33-year-old software company. Um, like products like Photoshop, we've had, just had its 25th anniversary. Like these are long-standing things, and for us to build like entirely new products, entirely new um, solutions for an entirely new group of people, not just you know creative professionals and designers and artists, but thinking about you know uh, a retired uh, a retired grandmother who's starting a small small business, or thinking about somebody who's an 18 year old volunteer at a nonprofit. Like that's a very different audience. Um, so we actually started honestly like not in the best way. Um, so before I joined uh, the team, we actually had some cool technology, which is a lot of how in, in the real world, at least in like a big technology company, a lot of things start that way. And so our amazing engineering team had like this way to, to do like high performance motion graphics and animation that could run like on an iPad or an iPhone. And they're like, wow, this is really cool technology. Um, and so like the, the first initial steps were like, oh, well, we have like desktop tools that do animation. We'll just like take that UI and like simplify it and shove it onto an iPad. Um, and we have this cool technology that lets this all run in real time on an iPad. Um, and it's like, okay, that's like, it's one of those like, oh yeah, the, the, the bear can, can walk, I guess, that's impressive. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, again, solving a problem for people. Like nobody, like our professional designers weren't saying like, oh, I wish I could do like real time Hollywood motion graphics with a timeline and keyframes on my iPad. Like you'll see like contrived ads sometimes like oh yeah like if I'm on an airplane and I don't have my computer maybe I can do that like it's just not really a problem for folks um, and so when I joined like like so we had this kind of nascent technology which is awesome to kind of figure out like so what is the problem is kind of how I was framing it like and who are we trying to help 
so we were talking a lot about like helping these next generation creatives, so like people, you know, everybody else basically, not like not creative professionals. Um, and so it was just me talking to a lot of folks. So I'd actually like go out to, um, so I came from a background in education, and education and nonprofits were actually really interesting for us because they had so many constraints. Um, so as we were trying to build tools for more people, um, like in education nonprofit space, like they have less time than most folks because they're doing a million things, and it's like one volunteer who's wearing five different hats of like social media manager and marketing person and like copy editor and they're also like raising money um, and they don't have a lot of resources um, and they don't necessarily have a lot of like uh, design skill that they've learned from like years of design school. So that was just kind of a perfect, we talk about like extreme users, like kind of on the edge um, where they kind of hit the intersection of so many different kind of challenges and problems. And so talking to them, um, that's basically how I uncovered this problem of explainer videos being such an appealing thing to be able to make um, because they see like other people doing it, but so far out of reach because they don't have skill, time, resources to do it. Um, so I was like, wait, okay, like this timeline thing on an iPad is not going to solve that problem. Like this super busy person is not going to take like a month of their time to read a bunch of books or take a class on how to do motion graphics. This isn't going to work. But what if we could simplify that and get to the essence of things? And that was pretty much the genesis of voice. So um, you said it was the first product that you you applied the lean startup method to um, building all the way through. So how did you how did you get to the lean startup method? How why why did it make sense to apply that in this case? Yeah. So that's so actually so that's interesting. Um, so before um, before even before I was at Adobe, I so I was at Stanford um, doing weird things. But like so I was doing a program that was like a mix of, so I was doing an MBA and then later I did a degree in education and design. Um, and in both those places, and I didn't know what it would be called uh, at that time, but in business school we'd learn about like lean production methodologies and like um, and like the Toyota production system and we'd have case studies about this and it's like, oh this is really cool and it was like super innovative. But I was kind of thinking like, okay, like if I ever run a factory of widgets, this is going to be great. Like, And you know, hadn't thought about it in a, a software context or like a yeah, like technology product context. Um, and at the same time, at the D school, we're doing a lot of work in terms of like rapid prototyping and iteration. Like fundamentally, the kind of the core principles of like people-centered design, um, you know, studying at the D school or a place like IDEO, it's you know under empathy, understanding who like understanding your customer, understanding your user, um, and then rapid prototyping to like not just describe things to people, but actually show like. You can't just ask questions of people and expect them to give you answers. Like, oh, what product would you like us to build? Like, it's not their job um, to design a product for you. That's your job. Your job is to understand their needs and then synthesize a solution. You may be wrong. That's okay because you're going to rapidly prototype it and find out really quickly if it's right or wrong or what's right and wrong. And then third thing is you iterate. Right? And that's the design process in a nutshell. Um, and so these two kind of separate things from D school and the business school um, kind of like, okay, these are like useful things to have in the back of mind. Um, when I came to Adobe, I tried to apply like bits and pieces of it um, and then kind of started stumbling on Lean, just kind of hearing about it. And it's like, wait, this is that perfect synthesis of um, like a, a methodology and a design process and a process of like understanding customers and your business um, that kind of all coalesced. So um, one of the cool things about at Adobe is we've been like our upper management's been super receptive to like to trying new methodologies and new approaches, um, and so there was a big movement around this, these next generation tools to really um, you know dig deep into lean startup. Um, and so we you know, we're all reading it. We all um, had actually great help from folks at um, like folks at Neo. So um, Jonathan Irwin, Dave Bland, 
Um, those guys are great. Um, so they're and introducing us to some of these concepts, and then we just kind of ran with it. Um, honestly, it was a little bit hard. Like, so introducing new method, totally new process to like a big company is like not always the easiest thing. Um, and Adobe, like, we had we definitely had like executive support, which is great. But um, but it's actually funny because like the actual team, like amazing veteran engineers who built like amazing legendary products, like. Those are some of those were the hardest people to like get on board um, on Celine. It's like we know what we're doing like we've done this well for like years and years and years. Um, like why do we want to mix things up and do this? Um, and actually, so at the beginning, it was a lot of uh, I, I think in a lot of other groups there was a very like top down like you're going to go like learn lean and like like you have to come to these meetings and have to come to these like customer things. Um, and it's, it's a very like push model. Um, and what ended up I think kind of finally converting. The, the, uh, converting everybody over was kind of more of a pool model, basically, um, like actually doing instead of like describing all the benefits, just going and doing it. So like talking to customers, getting insights, um, building small little prototypes, and like as that kept on happening, as we kind of got better and better and a little more successful at that, that's what actually ended up getting like everybody bought in. So it's not always like just convincing the people at the top, but really think about convincing. How are you going to convince your team? And the best way to do that is story like is stories stories of like the own little micro successes that you've gotten along the way so when you talk, when you talk about stories are you talking about um, the data that you get yeah so the data that you get back um, and actually told in told with a framework of stories so when I talk about stories um, I mean typically you know uh, if you think about stories like the classic like hero's journey like Joseph Campbell Star Wars or Harry Potter there's there's a hero um, there's some horrible, there's some you know, situation, they're stuck in a tree, they have some problem, and they need to get out of that tree. Bad things happen to them, there's more problems, and eventually like, they uncover some solution or understanding that gets them out. Right? And like, basically every story is about like, a, a protagonist who has a problem who eventually overcomes. Um, and so using that framing to describe like, the data that we were getting, so um, whether that's qualitative or quantitative data, was super valuable. So, um, specific example was um, at some point, like so, um, the voice. One of the things we've like really proud of is the, the UI of voice, and like it's super. Like you can literally make an impactful video in like 15 minutes. It's super easy. It's fun. Like eight-year-olds are using it to make like amazing like poetry slams and things. Um, but at the beginning, um, there's a debate about with engineering about whether like um, so voice automatically will help you download um, Creative Commons assets from like libraries. So you get like millions of photos and icons that kind of fit what you're saying without having to like Google search for them. Um, and it works really quickly because um, it works really quickly, especially like on, a, on an internal network like ours. Um, and there's a push, like I wanted to get like better feedback. So like progress indicators, we should take time to do like those progress indicators and people are like, no, 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 that's like not MVP, like that's not important. It's like, and we could just have this back and forth debate like over and over again. But instead, um, so just go out to there's a public school, um, there's a public school in Oakland. Like it's going there. Like each week, I'd go out to different places attended to do kind of user studies. Or and so we had the students, like fourth graders, with 10, 15 iPads that they are sharing, like using this tool, and they're loving it. And then they get to the part where they're like they're downloading their images, and then like like suddenly like all the kids' hands would be like up in the air, like oh there's a, like the app like crashed, it's frozen. Um, it wasn't crashed or frozen. It was you had like 30 kids downloading images all at the same time on the world's slowest like public school Wi-Fi network, right? And that's something that like we wouldn't have seen like sitting at like Adobe HQ with their fast Ethernet connection. 
um, but that's like a real world problem, <laughs> like a big problem. And so whereas I couldn't convince engineers to just like, please put in the progress indicator, like it's really important and do it this way, um, by telling that story, like, or, okay, if they, yeah, we need to do that. <laughs> like those dirty kids are pissed off at us right now. Um, let's fix that. Um, and so talking about the data that you have through the lens of a person, um, your user, is such a powerful thing, both in you know, helping your own understanding, but also like getting buy-in from your team um, and, yeah, and like everybody who touches the product. Um, so how many, how long did it take you? How many experiments did you run? How many times did you have to... Oh, gosh. <laughs> how um, a lot. Are you, still, are you still iterating? You know, how, where, how is it? We never stop iterating. <laughs> and um, I think I would lose track. Um, so one of the things we talk about, um, it's a little bit meta, one of the big ideas in, in the app is like the reason why um, is uh, this big principle that iteration makes everything better, right? And you know, your, uh, your high school English teacher would tell you that, like certainly mine did. She's like, you know, it's never your first draft. It's your fifth draft that's going to be the best. It's your 20th draft that's going to be the best. Um, but in practice, like I would never do a fifth draft because like I'm too lazy. Like I would not write like a fifth draft of my English essay. <laughs> like, um, but if I did, it would be great. And so thinking about that, like you know that's true. Like more iteration, like better, more drafts will make things better, especially as you're getting feedback from people along the way. So the question is like, how can you shorten those cycles, right? Like if it's super painful to write another draft of this like long English essay, like I'm not going to do it. But if you can figure out ways to shorten, condense that, um, so that um, yeah, each cycle is shorter it's not so bad to iterate really quickly. So with voice, for example, we were down to like one week sprints. Every week we would have um, a different specific experiment, like a specific hypothesis that we had. Like if we, if we um, you know, add this, if we do a better onboarding experience with this like walkthrough tutorial, like people are more likely to get successfully publishing at the end. Um, and then like running that experiment um, and seeing the result, um, that was something that would happen like every week. So I don't know, it took about, Voice, I think, was like a year and a half. So, like a year and a half, like however many weeks are in that. That's at least how many like iterative cycles we went through, uh, and and we continue to do that. Um, and one of the things about those iterative cycles, it comes back to I mentioned before, like in design thinking, there's this notion of like rapid prototyping, and you know, like people will build um, you know, build models out of like cardboard and construction paper because that's the fastest thing that they have instead of using a CNC machine or some like three um, D model and three D printer, just because it's the fastest way to get it out. Um, and so that's what we were doing with voice as well. Um, so for example, if we were testing something, like I mentioned, like the onboarding experience, the one way of doing it is like, oh, okay, we'll have like design, design, like, um, like the proper onboarding experience, and then we'll have like engineering, like implement that, um, and then like, and then we'll test it. And like that's, unless you have some crazy team like working all night, all hours, like you're not going to do that in a week. Um, but instead, like the, the experiment might just be like, walking people in and like you personally or have, have a person walk them through the onboarding flow that, you know, uh, you know like uh, Wizard of Oz style essentially. And just kind of walk them through the steps that the app would have walked them through and see how it does. And yeah, it's like slightly different. Um, you know, it's people are probably more likely to do it if there's, there's, there's a physical person there, but at least you're getting some approximation if this like uh, onboarding concept might work at all. And so that's totally something you could do in a week, even like a few days. Um, so get those smaller cycles, you'll get more iteration, and uh, you'll get something closer to what users need. So what were some of the other challenges that you ran into when you were building this, other than the sort of getting the engineering team on board? Yeah, so one of them was that, so uh, one of the reasons um, folks are a little bit skeptical of Lean at Adobe um, 
and uh, and like the, myself included, a little bit myself included, was it like, oh, well, we've seen all these like great case studies and examples like from actual startups, um, but like a big company is different. Um, like we have um, like brand um, to to think about. Uh, and I think somebody was asking about that. Um, like we have the Adobe brand, like we have to think about. So if we make a crappy creative tool, like that's not good. Like so we're not going to be able to do like the lean, like um, quick, rapid things that startups are always talking about. Um, and so we actually did. Um, so voice was actually launched. So we kind of like worked around it. We we're like, okay, so we'll use like project code names and things like that. Um, we were nervous about it, but we actually so the original code name for um, Adobe Voice was Project Ginger. And so we had this website. I think it's still up in some residual form, but like getginger.co. So um, when people were like, oh, okay, you should uh, <laughs> like do you know do like a validation website and test some of like the um, the yeah, some of the uh, test up, test our six up, for example. Like, what is this offering to people? We're like, okay, like we're, we can do that, but if we do that, like, what if people find out we're Adobe? But we eventually kind of overcame that hurdle, and we we did it anyway. Um, so it got super valuable feedback. Like, actually, if you I think getginger.co, you can still see the the like the six up, the key value propositions that we were talking about, and it maps perfectly to actually what we released and what ended up being so successful. Um, this is a Again, that's probably the 30th draft of that page, if you're seeing it right now. <laughs> like, there's so many other versions before. Um, or, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, what if somebody finds out that it's actually Adobe, like, underlying this, like, little stealth project? Like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be, like, a PR nightmare. So guess what happens? <laughs> like, uh, see, uh, like, a few months later, uh, a CNET writer... Uh, writes this post that like Adobe is working on secret PowerPoint killer like <laughs> related to called Ginger like oh like I saw this in the morning and they're like oh no we're like we're screwed this is the worst thing that could happen um, and yeah so like the, the the worst case scenario we had been thinking about in doing Lean at like a big company actually happened like people found out that like the stealth project was actually an Adobe thing like. People were talking about it. There's like an Engadget post I saw in my like RSS feed. Like, oh no, this is like big. Um, and at the end, of, and so it ended up. The reason that happened apparently was because we were sending out beta invites, and like the the footer of one of those emails had like an anti-spam thing that had like our address, and it was like Adobe at 601 Towns in San Francisco. And so people connected the dots. This journalist connected dots. Was like, oh, this is Adobe. So what ended up happening, we we were like, oh, yeah, like Adobe runs like experiments all the time to figure out like what people are, like how to build products that users are looking for. Um, and like, you know, there's no guarantee they'll actually be products, but this is like, this is one of many experiments that we're always running. And that was it. And actually, it was awesome because we, <laughs> we ended up getting like thousands of people who are signed up for a beta list <laughs> um, that we like siphoned into a separate place because these are the people that know it's Adobe. Um, <laughs> but it was actually great. Um, there is like we got a lot, a lot more testers, a lot more beta testers. We got a lot more feedback, um, and altogether, it wasn't so bad. So, you know, that big challenge. You think about like, oh, it's big, it's different at a big company versus a small company. Actually, um, you know, people know that big companies are running experiments all the time. So, if you're going to do it, like, you know, use methodologies like Lean and do it well. Um, like the downside isn't such a bad thing. Um, yeah, it sounds like it worked in your favor. Yeah, it actually, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, so um, it made it so much easier to get feedback from folks. Like, yeah, we, like, inflated our, like, test list by, like, an order of magnitude. Um, one, th you know, one thing to keep in mind, of course, is that, like, 
we did know that those users were different than the users we were targeting because those are people who are like coming in now expecting like oh this is like Adobe and this is a PowerPoint killer which it is not like that's not our intent it's a, it's an app to create like explainer videos not like presentations necessarily um, but uh, but yeah so that was it just made it that much easier to get more feedback from more folks at the end of the day and after we kind of overcame that hurdle um, you know there was really nothing else to be afraid of um, and so the the process I mean we made all kinds of mistakes but the process was um, super smooth and at least no different between like doing it at Adobe versus doing it like, at a two-man startup. So is the company more comfortable now? More comfortable now? Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, so Adobe. So like I describe a little bit like oh you know the like Adobe being big corporate but actually like Adobe has been super supportive like all along the way. It's been um, remarkable about that and um, it continues to apply lean across like all kinds of different dimensions on new projects. Um, there's actually, so after voice, um, this one hasn't been released yet, um, so I probably shouldn't talk too much about it, <laughs> but did another like lean kind of validation experiment, um, and it went incredibly well. Um, and so that's going to be the basis of um, like a new product that we'll be launching next, I think next year. Um, and so it's an ongoing thing. This definitely wasn't a one shot. Um, the idea of kind of pioneering lean with uh, a handful of these projects, like voice, voice being the first of those. Um, has definitely like disseminated across the company, and both like executive management um, and just like the teams themselves are excited to to get closer to customers. So it's been awesome. That's great. That's very cool. Um, sorry, I'm echoing. So I'm going to try this without. Um, I wanted to ask you why people call the product joyful. What do you mean? <laughs> Yeah, um, so <laughs> that is a good so joyful. Um, so, so I think it's because, so I think it's because um, you actually, um, you actually, actually see, I mean, see, I mean, people, people have used it from, used it from um, the, secret the Secretary General of the United Nations. His envoy uses voice to, like, uh, create videos that report back about, like, meetings and discussions they're having in Cairo and Brussels, like, in places all around the world. And then, so that's, like, adults. And then you have, like, a sixth grader is making a video about river conservation in New York City, um, and it's now being used as like one of the official videos for this like this nonprofit like um, environmental organization in New York, and it's a sixth grader, right? So like this huge range of folks. Um, it, the idea, I think everybody wants to be able to tell stories. Like we all want to have a voice, um, and but it's been hard for. But there's this huge gap between like the stories that we consume, like watching YouTube and viral videos and Hollywood stuff. And the things that we can actually make ourselves, and so the goal of voice from the very beginning is like to close that gap, um, to make it easier for folks, and so like the reason why it's fun, like you watch, I mean, um, if you just search for like Adobe Voice like on Twitter, for some reason like the education community has been super excited, so like you're invariably going to see a bunch of adorable photos of like kids doing like poetry slams and like advertisements and projects in their like sixth grade class or their fourth grade class or their like high school class, um, and the reason it's fun is because it's 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 fast and it's frictionless. So it's kind of a little meta because it relates a little bit to lean, actually. But I mentioned before um, how important iteration is. Iteration makes everything easier. Um, if you look at the toys, so like I'm a total nerd. Ever since I was a little kid, I, I've been playing with Legos. Actually, Lego, whee, Legos. Um, they're like all around the room. Um, 
Um, Legos are amazing. Like you watch kids play with Legos, it's it's joyful. One of the reasons it's joyful is because it's iterative. Like a kid can think about, she's thinking about like, okay, she wants to build like a giant skyscraper. She doesn't have to create a blueprint or a plan to build that skyscraper. She just starts snapping bricks together, one brick at a time. If it doesn't look quite right, she snaps them apart, puts on another piece. Um, and so the whole time, like every iterative step, like literally takes like one second. Um, and so she's not even, she doesn't have to plan, she's just like in the moment, in that flow. So with voice, it's the same idea. The big kind of, um, the big kind of benefit of voice, like big idea of voice. Is, so basically, let me describe it. Um, so you take your iPad, you talk into it like a walkie-talkie. Um, so uh, if you think about doing like a narration for a video, in the old days, if you recorded a 60-second narration for your video, like at the 49th second, you cough. And they're like, no! <laughs> and just start all over again. Um, and or figure out how to use a waveform editor and edit, and it's going to take you tons of time. In voice, like, you just press and hold and talk like a walkie-talkie. So, like, once upon a time. Oh, no, that wasn't quite right. You just press and hold it again. Once upon a time. One, like, more energy. Once upon a time. Um, and so you're, because it's so easy to just, like, do a retake and do it over again, um, it literally takes two seconds just, like, snapping on a Lego piece, um, you keep on doing it. You get in the flow, and you end up with something that sounds amazing. Like, we've seen... Um, like eight-year-olds using voice who are, who are like practicing that like once upon a time like literally taking ten takes of the same thing um, and then they do that for each of their little lines and then when you play it back all together she sounded like like Obama like like for people to be perfect for two seconds at a time it's not that hard everybody can do that and so if we take the pain of editing out so that it's just quick and easy to like if you want to throw in an image it takes in two seconds if you want to say something it takes two seconds um, and that whole process like just keeps you in the flow of your story. And I think that's what makes it jo so joyful. Just like snapping on bricks and Lego is like, so joyful. So what's interesting to me is the timing of the yeah. story. Did you storyboard it? Did you practice it? How did you get to, it takes like two minutes, you know, everybody can speak for two minutes and, and, and then you break it up and, and you sort of figured out how people tell stories. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so in terms of... Um, like, so, you know, how do people come up with those stories? Like, the, so, one of the big ideas is, like, we were, we were going to take, so there's kind of two parts to, like, creating a video story, for example. There's, you've got to have um, the actual story narrative, and then you have to, like, have production, right, for, like, actually, like, create the video and things like that. Um, most Adobe tools, like, most creative tools in general have always been focused on production, right? Like, move this thing two pixels up, two pixels down, like, change it, like, plus two seconds, plus, minus five seconds, um, what's the color, what's the font, like all these production details. Um, and basically, we've put people in the position of like, oh yeah, you want to make a movie? Like, well, you're going to be the set designer and like the choreographer who's like moving stuff around. Um, my big thing with voice is like, I wanted to make a tool where people, like most people, they don't want to be this, like, it's cool to be a set designer, and like uh, a set designer or choreographer. They do beautiful things. But most people probably just want to be the director. Like, make this big! Like, this is the exciting part. Or like, oh, this is the quiet part. Um, and so that's, that's the big idea of voice, is that we were going to take all those production details. Like, technology can take care of that. Like, we'll do, like, beautiful motion graphics and, like, motion blur and things will drop in in 3D and fade in with a watercolor effect. Like, technology can take care of that. And we're just going to let you focus on the story, the things that directors should worry about, right? And so, um, so to help you with that story, we actually, in, a, in like my geeky kind of education background, we talk about instructional scaffolding, which is the idea that 
instead of um, you build scaffolds for people um, and they can climb up those scaffolds and they can get higher than they would have gotten themselves and they can build better things than they could have built by themselves. So in voice we have a lot of scaffolding. One example is um, that onboarding process I was mentioning. It actually gives people um, example story arcs. So we know from a lot of research in like history and literature there are narrative arcs that have been really effective. So like the hero's journey, right? If you have a hero, they have, she has a challenge, um, she has some obstacles to overcome, and then she brings home some valuable lesson back to the village, right? That, that story has been told a million times in a million ways because it's over time, because it's so effective. So we give people that. Like, so if you want to promote an idea, like we have a structure for that. If you want to teach something, we have a structure for that. If you want to invite people to a party and actually get them to come, like we actually have a structure for that. And so instead of starting with a scary blank page, um, people are just kind of filling the blanks. And then they can rearrange them just like a storyboard, just like post-its on a wall to, to, tailor, to be tailored to fit their story. So uh, from the get-go, you, you're never faced by like scary blank page. Instead, um, you, you get help and guidance all along the way with the scaffolding. Wow, it sounds great. I actually want to use it now. <laughs> um, so we have a couple of questions I'm going to read um, that are coming through from the audience. So the first one is, how did the engineers cope with the increased communication requirements with the rest of the team? Yeah, good question. Um, so part of it, so um, one of the big benefits that we had is, so um, so there's, yeah, there's a couple, there's a bunch of different ways you can increase communication flow for people. One is just like, you know, having more contact, and like I think that's what um, the question's alluding to, like there's definitely like a lot more interaction. Um, the other big cost for communications is the inefficiencies that come from like having people t um, like passing, playing the game of telephone amongst one, amongst one another. Like having a message from like, oh, well, the, uh, idea from something from a user is passed on to a product manager who then passes on to a designer who eventually passes on to an engineer. I think that's like four different communications that just had to happen right there. Um, and instead, with um, what we were doing is with um, with Lean and with Voice is just bringing all those together. So um, instead of having like silos of design and engineering and product um, and user research, we were all just one big team. Um, and so like when we were doing like at those, uh, when I would bring in folks from like a nonprofit, like the San Francisco Bike Coalition would come into, I'd like recruit them to come talk about some of their communication challenges like in social media. Um, and it wasn't just talking to me, the product manager. Was, the engineers were all in the room. The designers were in the room. Um, the user researchers were, were all of us. Um, and so, like, that just took out a ton of communications, like, that would have had to happen. So you're not, like, reading, you know, you don't have nine people reading the, the long, lengthy, like, user research report that one person wrote. You just have everybody exposed to those ideas, like, firsthand. Um, and that really helped, I think, with communications. Another thing is, um, like, more tactical is just, Write everything down. Um, keep things like and this is a mistake that we would make some um, at times, where we would make decisions and then like have a meeting to make the same decision because like it just wasn't documented. Like, oh yeah, what are our experiments? Oh, like well, let's brainstorm and go through the whole process. Like, oh wait, we just ended up with the list that we came up with last week. Um, so one of the you know the benefits these days is like we have tools like Google Docs or Slack and all these wonderful things. So it's really easy to start like you know take charge and like keep those organized. Um, it's um, you know, it's those tools that, the one thing to keep in mind is those tools are really flexible, so there's a lot of ways to use them, um, and things can emerge organically, but there's also cruft that arises when you do it that way, so, you know, somebody, maybe you, whoever it is, like, on your team, should just take charge and, like, push people to do things the right way, like, do it, don't do it top down, like, see how patterns emerge, um, but if people start to, like, oh, okay, they're using Slack to do, like, 
announcements of releases, like to create a new Slack channel just for announcement release things. And that way, like milestones all go in this one place. Like there's no mixed up discussions and it doesn't get lost. You don't have to create a new Google Docs where people have to open up a new browser window. Like just keep it in one place. Um, but it's kind of like the, uh, the the cow path school of landscape uh, landscaping design where you, know, you you just instead of like laying out the concrete sidewalks ahead of time, you just like grow let the grass grow and then see as people are walking across the lawn, like you'll see the, the paths that people actually take, and then you find out the exact right paths, then just pave them over and make them pretty and concrete. Um, this is the same thing with communications. Like let things organically emerge, but you're going to start to see patterns emerge strongly, and then like make them concrete so that people know what to expect. That's a really good metaphor. <laughs> it also <laughs> yeah. sounds like you need to break down silos from the beginning, so collaboration is really important, but um, not sort of putting people, not thinking of people as engineer, designer, developer, but really just sort of one team around a product, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so another question. Sorry, I'm scrolling here. There's a bunch coming in. Um, did you get pushback from legal uh, okay. in <laughs> uh, it, regarding the Creative Commons tie-in? <laughs> yeah. So um, normally, if a, like typical big company, this is where I would like have some like chagrin about like legal. But actually, like our legal team has been has been great, and they um, so they definitely like were warning us about you know various like best practices and things that we should do. Like you know we should um, you know, one example is like we communicate that you know these. Like all the assets are are tagged as Creative Commons assets, um, but like you know there are millions of them in the world from like all kinds of different sources across the web. So like we can't actually say they are like all like 100% Adobe guaranteed Creative Commons, but we can say like you know these have all been tagged as Creative Commons um, and give people the information they need to you know the links and the backlinks and the proper attribution um, automatically. Um, and so like and legal, so actually legal was kind of. Um, like part of the design process in that sense, like that makes sense. Like we should communicate that, and we should be forward and honest with people. Um, and so legal is just kind of helping us with that. So um, they were more supportive than anything. Yeah. And in fact, yeah, one of the fun. <laughs> so in one of the one of the surprising findings from um, one of our, when I was going out to um, talk to a bunch of high school students about voice when we were doing some uh, solution interviews. Uh, they were, so they had like 30 minutes to use voice. They'd never used it, and they like did a whole film festival screening within like an hour, which is like super cool to see. Um, but they um, so I was asking them, like things they liked, things they wanted to change, things they didn't like. Um, like one of the overwhelming things, like I was expecting the kids to be excited about, like oh, like the awesome watercolor theme that makes it look like we're painting watercolors on the screen with a tap. Um, but the one of the favorite features from a bunch of the kids is like oh, the best thing is like. How it automatically attributes things. I'm like, well, like really? <laughs> That's like not the sexiest feature. But yeah, so like voice will automatically like track people's Creative Commons attributions and automatically build the credit screen at the end of your video. Like and take yeah, so to give proper credit to the artists as as they do. And like for kids, of course, you know, in hindsight, it's like yeah, it's such a pain to write a bibliography and keep track of like the 20 different images and where they came from and put it all together. They just love that Voice did this automatically, and that's something that makes users happy and makes lawyers happy. Like they uh, that's <laughs> cool. helps everybody. And actually, not what I would have guessed would be the sexiest feature either. <laughs> yeah, <me> either. <laughs> cool. um, this is actually a good question here. Uh, the next one is: How do you target your new product to such a wide range of audience, from professional use to school students, for example? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so this is actually one of the, pro the, the the like things that I was pushing back against when I. Uh, kind of heard about like next generation creative tools in this like effort at Adobe when I was joining. It's like, um, like so the team was recruiting me and I was like, wait, so you're building tools for everybody except creative pros? Like that's 
like basically everybody in the, like 99% of the world, like that's a broad target. Like that's the opposite of focus, right? Um, and that's why you know, this is a, such a great question. Um, so like of course, like you should be focused. And I think when people, um, there's a lot of, and this is some of the mistakes we made. Like at the beginning, there's like debates about like, oh, is this just like a general consumer tool for everybody, like the Instagram audience, and um, and you know th that entails so many things. And that's just, it's really, I mean, you can be lucky and like get that right and like make an Instagram, but to be really deliberate, like you have to be so much more focused. Um, and in the case of voice. Um, even the what it would do is like oh it would make videos like well what kind of videos right like if you think about a tool like an iMovie which is a great tool or like a Premiere which is a fantastic tool um, you know people use them to make documentaries and vacation videos and music videos and narrated pieces and short 30 minute ads like everything under the sun and so it's really hard to be amazing in any of these things if you're trying to do all of those things um, so in the case of voice it was just by doing um, problem interviews with lots of customers there are just patterns that started to emerge um, where people, there are certain people who had a specific intention, like I'm making a video to convince people to do this. That was um, a much more narrow band of videos. Like this isn't music videos. This isn't like a three-hour documentary. This is I'm making a video to convince people to do something. Like explainer videos, we call them today. Um, and so that was so when I pivoted voice to focus on explainer videos rather than like long random essays. That was a huge um, point for us uh, and. And you know, even then, like I was also so I was wrong too. Like I was like, okay, so like examples of people who need these explainer videos, like well, there's like nonprofits, there's um, small businesses, there's students and teachers, and startups. Like start every startup needs to have like a explainer video, right? Like I see them everywhere, um, and like, that was my hypothesis. Um, so we tested out by actually like showing the end result of what voice would create to people. Um, and actually, this is kind of a this is actually a big thing. Um, like we didn't build the app. Like I personally, as like the crappy the the product manager who doesn't know how to use After Effects and Premiere, these amazing video editing tools. Like tried to learn them in a couple of days and made a very terrible example video of like icons dropping onto the screen that happened to be in, perfectly in sync with the narration. And I showed this terrible video to people, and like I was thinking like this looks like a bad PowerPoint. But I'd show folks, and like teachers are like, oh my god, that's amazing. Like if we could make that uh, small businesses, like oh my god, that's amazing. Nonprofits, same thing. Um, and the startups are like. Oh, that's interesting. And like, like, I thought they'd be so excited because like, this is an explainer video. This is what you guys want. And they're like, um, yeah, like if we're gonna, like we're willing to spend ten thousand dollars to raise like two million dollars in funding or whatever, or, like ten million in funding. Like that's not a question for us. Or like we already have millions in funding. Like we'll pay fifty thousand dollars for an explainer video that makes our launch. Um, and so like, oh, that makes sense. Um, but so focus was so important and. So narrowing from like the world of everybody who wants to make a video into um, you know, videos to convince people of a thing, even further um, to these specific that specific subset of people who had particularly limited resources that needed to get the word out. Um, and so again, like I was wrong. Like I totally thought startups would love this thing, and you know, in hindsight, of course they wouldn't. Like they have other ways to do that. They can use After Effects. Um, but yeah, it's important to um, take a choose an choose an audience, even if you're wrong. Um, and 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 test it out rather than just saying like oh like I'm not going to make a guess I'm not going to make a hypothesis I'm just going to try everything but that's not going to get you anywhere it's better to to be focused find out you're wrong and pivot um, not, I don't even know if it's called a pivot but like and try something else um, and you're a lot likelier to get to your goal if you uh, stay on target stay yeah. on focus yeah. it's good to know who your customers are not going to be <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
Um, okay, another question is, um, how big was the team? Can you comment on applying Lean Startup to a large geo-distributed team, if that's the case? Yeah. Uh, we'll start there. Yeah, so um, so the team is um, really small by like big by big tech company standards. Um, so I think it started out we had like four or five engineers, um, product manager, um, design. So like less than ten less than ten people um, for sure. Um, the one we did have the benefit that most of the team was co-located. Like we have some folks in uh, San Jose and some folks in San Francisco, but at least a couple times a week, like everybody would be in the same place, and that was. Um, Definitely, like a huge advantage. I think we had um, just because it was so much easier to have like a, a whiteboarding session kind of all together. And things like whiteboarding sessions are important um, because you know, one of the when you're rapidly prototyping things and sharing ideas with one another, like one, it's the the speed of it is valuable. But the other part is that like things don't seem too concrete. Like when you're putting something in dry erase marker on a whiteboard. Um, it looks kind of crappy, like a napkin sketch. And so other people are more likely to jump in and say, like, no, that's wrong, or like, oh, maybe we should change it and do this. Whereas if we had, like, designers building, like, beautiful pixel-perfect comps um, for every little design thing that they're coming up with, in practice, like, when a designer shows that, it's really hard to say, oh, like, maybe we should change that based on this feedback I just heard. Like, because you just spent, like, five hours working on this pixel-perfect thing, and it's beautiful. Like, I don't want to touch it. Um, so having low fidelity ways of communicating was really valuable. Like in those whiteboard sessions all together were great. Um, I think that was important. Um, but in fact, um, the larger team, um, so voice is, ties in a lot of things. Like we have like, search capabilities that are like scouring the web and pulling Creative Commons images and that, are, that were actually built by another, um, by like another group of folks like, that were based in like Germany. So like we had remote folks like kind of distributed all over the place as well, even though the core team was in uh, the Bay Area. Um, and there, it's um, I mentioned before, like figuring out your lines of communication and making sure that people are using them consistently was kind of the way to go. So if we decided that like these things would happen um, in this Google Doc, then like be forceful at making sure that everybody sticks to that. Like people will be tempted to be like, oh, no, I'm just going to send like this back and forth over email instead. But if you do that, then that everybody has to keep an eye out on two different channels instead of one different channel, one single channel. Um, so I think distributed teams. Um, it's, it's, it is a little harder, like, I totally admit that, um, but I think with the technology that we have, if you are disciplined in using it and using these collaboration tools um, to keep them simple um, for folks, instead of having, like, 20 million different tools or 20 different, different channels, um, you can go really far. Yep. Um, okay, next question is, what and how did you measure progress in the Ginger project that led to Adobe Voice? Oh, yeah, good question. So, measuring progress. Um, so, there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, all kinds of um, questions about this actually that we had because we were asking this kind of same question like what does traction mean exactly because if we didn't really have any comparables this is a completely different audience for us of like kind of a more consumer oriented tool rather than like a creative pro tool um, and so at the beginning I think we actually wasted a bunch of time honestly like th like debating the like oh like well what percentage conversion is good and like so we would have like hour long meetings about like debating this number like what does success look like we have to pick a number um, and in practice, like, it was better, it would have been better, and, like, what we ended up doing is, like, just doing it, and then, like, we would have a baseline, and then we could work on improving that baseline, right? So, like, I don't know if is 5% a good conversion for a validation website for this type of tool directed at this type of audience. Like, like I think now I guess I have a better idea. But, like, I don't know. There's so many different variables, honestly. Um, but, you know, I do know that, like, if it was 5% and we made a bunch of changes, or made some changes and did an experiment, and now it's 10%, like, that's better. Um, 
So I think that you know if you have if you have the um, the fortune of having like good comparables that you that you know to be the right comparables, um, that's great, and you can look at absolute numbers and compare that way. But much more valuable is looking at like, fractions, right? Like thinking about like growth or like increases and decreases percents, right? So if it's a percent improvement, that's a good thing. Um, and you don't have to worry about like spending weeks doing the research to figure out what the right comparable absolute number is. Um, so a lot of what Lean is about is about you know, trajectories, right? It's we talk about um, your goal is to get more validated learning, and that's about like knowing more than you did yesterday. Um, and so if you if you if you keep on doing that, if every day you know more than you did yesterday, that's a good thing. If every day you're doing better than you did yesterday, no matter where you started from, that's probably going to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, so there's another question that asks, how did you organize the performance reporting about the progress in the Ginger project? So especially like to the like the on the executive level, how did you how did you make your case? Yeah. As, as the information was coming in and you were making decisions. Yeah. So um, so what was the 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 great thing and the scary thing about like a project like this at a big company is that. Um, or at least at Adobe, like, is that our management gave us the flexibility to, like, you decide what your KPIs are. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, oh, like, but we don't know what we should be measuring exactly. We're still learning this as we go along. Um, but again, that was, like, we just took stabs at those things. Um, and I think um, one, of the, um, one of the challenges we had is, like, we were, Adobe is often a very data-driven company, like, in terms of data-driven decisions, which is a great thing, and I think that's why, like, our products are like so successful. Part of why our products are so successful, um, but the downside, of, like one cultural downside of that, is like when we on these new projects, and it's like, okay, like what are the analytics that we're going to track? Everybody's so good at coming up with like every possible thing to track and like put a number on, and so like we end up with these like Google spreadsheets of like a million different things, at, like that we would capture, and it's just like, and it's almost like a competition of like who could come up with the most like analytics that could be maybe interesting to capture. And, like, and people are very smart, and so that list gets very long. Um, but actually, like, it's just start simple. Um, like, because if you do that, like, you're going to spend so much time building up the frameworks and the infrastructure to capture that like crazy long list of different analytics. Like, are those even going to be actionable at the end? Are you going to have energy to act on them after you've like done all this work to collect them? Um, so, so focus on like the analytics that are going to be most actionable. Like, do some reverse engineering, right? Like, if we got this number, if we learned this number. What would we do with it? If you have no idea, like maybe you don't need to collect it just right now, or maybe you don't have to stress about it just right now. Um, so for us, um, it can't, like the simplification thing, like kind of thinking about um, uh, oh, Dave McClure's like pirate metrics was actually super helpful for us. So just kind of uh, acquisition, activation, um, uh, retention, and revenue, and things like, and and that kind of list of things was a super frame. Like you can pick pick and choose your framework, but just having something. So that we were only focused on a single metric at a time was huge for us. So at the beginning, um, so like acquisition, kind of thinking about acquisition was big. So we were doing the validation website, and we could test our hypotheses about like what would this product actually do? Like, what would we you know, get? Would the like easy audio recording get people excited? Would the themes get people excited? Would the like integrated imagery and photos get people excited? So like we could actually test that um, and see like how many people were giving us their email addresses and like giving something up to get something in return. And, and that focus was just on acquisition at the time. Um, or actually, well, act, act, I guess, activation on the website is how I should describe it as. Um, and so it was just focused on activation. Um, and that activation measure changed over time. Later on, of course, it was less the website and more like 
were they activating, we, we changed what activation would mean in terms of like, are activation now means like, are they actually publishing a video successfully like much later in the process? But each week we just had like one key metric that we were driving towards and that enabled the focus that we were looking for. So and that question of like, how do you choose, um, you know, uh, it's probably going to be one of those pyrometrics. Like, choose one and start with that and see where it goes, right? Um, and, uh, and you know, keep on being able to iterate. Um, so, one one more question about sort of all the challenges you face. Somebody asked what the <laughs> biggest challenge was. So, if, and, and I would say I would ask that question not just for Adobe Voice, but for any of the other projects that you're working on that are where you're you're applying lean startup, or you're you know, what is is it? Are you, I mean. Presumably, you've got buy-in already, and people already have worked, and so that's not really a challenge anymore. But what, what is like the biggest thing that you had to overcome, if there's one? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a hard question. That's a hard question. Good question. Um, and partly, it's it's hard just because like not because there aren't so many challenges, but because like there are challenges across different dimensions or like different kind of um, uh, yeah aspects of doing product development, like whether it's um, like design, the business side, the kind of product side. Um, but picking one of them, um, I think that this is a this is a challenge that people might not know they have. <laughs> um, it's it's figuring out. So it's easy to t you know it's everybody's bought into the idea of like okay you need to get closer to your customers to like build great products to build products people love. Like you need to understand them. You need to get out of the building. Like there's no I don't think there's any debate anymore about how important that is. Like you're not going to guess at. Uh, product requirements sitting inside of a meeting room, like disconnected from your users. Um, but it's important not to just talk to users, but to talk to the right users, right? Um, and I think that, in a, especially in a big company, um, but also even in small companies, like there's, so we actually have like usability, like we have a separate like usability research team, like organization at Adobe that has a separate function of people who do like usability like recruiting specifically and it's kind of shared across different organizations and different teams um, and it's great to have resources like that so if you're on the product team it's very tempting to delegate um, like these things like delegate like oh like the dirty work of like uh, you know the, the grind work of um, recruiting specific users to bring in for user tests or problem interviews or solution interviews or people to talk to it's like oh yeah well like I'm just going to write it like these parameters. Like, please find people that fit these parameters. Um, but it's almost like hiring. Like, you, like if you're hiring people, like it's nice to have like recruiters. But at the end of the day, like you need to get involved if you want to get like the best possible candidate, um, because like you need to understand. Because um, you're at the end of the day, it's your job to understand them as the product person. Um, so we'll we'll have groups sometimes. Like we'll use like things like usabilitytesting.com, which is great for like actual usability testing. Like, you know, do people find the button? And is the button in the right place? But um, early on, for a lot of teams, it was tempting for them to just like rely on tools like that for like understanding users and like developing empathy for users. And it's not a good tool for that because um, those people have a different context, right? Like somebody who spends time like doing usability testing a few you know a few hours a week is different from like I'm looking for somebody like the retired lawyer who's sitting on the board of a nonprofit um, who's trying to like raise awareness about that nonprofit, like. Her, and she has a, you know, a fundraising gala that's happening next week. Like, this one of her contacts. Like, like how she responds to a product is going to be very different. She's going to be, like, a lot more, like, it's going to be a lot more important that this thing is fast, that she gets results super quickly. Like, she's not going to spend time on, like, the right, coming up with the, her personal favorite color scheme because she's, like, a lawyer. Like, she like, doesn't care. Um, and so those details, like, that real-world context is so important 
So um, it, I'd say it would be the biggest challenge for your, your lean startup process if you choose the wrong users in that like or you're talking to the people who aren't actually your users um, so you know those things aren't fungible so make sure that you're talking to the right users with the right context um, and I think and if you do that you're gonna learn a lot more valuable lessons from it that's a great answer um, okay so we're, I'm gonna start to wrap it up because we've only got a few minutes left but um, one of the questions that came up and I'm just gonna sort of ask it in a broad context is um, what is what is Adobe's approach or your approach to innovation? So I mean, it's a lot of companies talk about innovation, and and there are lots of different ways that you can think about it. But um, since you've sort of implemented Lean Startup and you're you're creating the next generation creative tools, um, how do you approach innovation, or how does the company approach it? What is yeah. what is do you have a process in place, or is it sort of an just an ethos in the organization that you've also yeah. subscribed to? So let me. So I think that. Um, so talking about like Adobe's ethos towards innovation is is probably is tricky, honestly, in that like so we do a lot of it a lot across a lot of different dimensions. So um, you know between like we have crazy like R and D researchers who are writing like amazing SIGGRAPH papers at like you know black magic things where you're like that shouldn't happen and like stuff from science fiction and like that's a type of innovation. There's like product innovation, there's design innovation, there's business innovation. So like I, I don't want to over speak and speak to like the Adobe wide like innovation philosophy because um, we do a lot of it and like and you know we, we pick and choose the right philosophy for the right type of innovation, whether that's technical or business or product or um, or, or the combination. Um, so I'll speak to like kind of like I guess my personal thoughts on that, like much smaller scale. <laughs> um, so I actually used to work. Um, so before Adobe, I used to work at Reuters, like the news agency. They had a group called the Reuters Innovation Studio. So it's like, so my first my first job out of college is like innovation strategist, which I don't think is a real thing. <laughs> um, but so and so like I kind of got immersed in that. And and the way that was structured was that like we had this separate team in New York that was kind of doing like innovation projects, like doing user empathy, user research, ethnography, like understanding emerging technologies. We'd synthesize that into like product project plans and then those would get disseminated to the rest of the organization like across the, around the world. Um, and honestly like that model, you know, it's it's that's a really hard model uh, where you have like innovation centralized in this little group of like innovation people. Um, like even though I was in that group, it was like hard because like I'll you you would do all this work and then I would pass on this like deck and then it may or may not actually happen. Like actually the process of getting buy-in, the process of getting the product people who are building it to like build empathy for this user that you were you were talking to and integrating with and engaging with this whole time, that was hard if not like impossible in some cases. Um, and so rather than have like thinking about like innovation being a centralized thing like just a functional like you're the innovator um, think about you know how that could be woven into like the fabric of everyone in the organization right like great ideas do come from everywhere um, and instead um, you know the in D school we all, we talk a lot or the design school we talk a lot about um, t-shaped people right so uh, t-shaped being like they have breadth in terms of like uh, breadth across different disciplines so like that that person who is interested in photography and is an engineer who like loves literature and you know, um, <laughs> and then has depth in a particular area. Like they're a hardcore like computer science graphics researcher. Most people are that. They're not just these eye shapes. Like so, like encourage people to build like the breadth of their T. Um, the inter interesting things happen. You know, I always say like the most interesting stories happen at the intersections of things. Right? And so encourage your staff, your team, yourself to 
to explore different spaces, even in your personal life, like different disciplines, um, in addition to like, your professional like area of depth and expertise. And I think most of the most interesting innovations come from that place. If you think about something like Adobe Voice, um, you know, why would anybody need to have like a background in like uh, constructionist learning and education and design and like computer science? Like, why would those things ever connect? And voice is exactly that, right? Um, and so I think, and that's why it's so different from you know, every other movie tool that's ever been made, is because it comes at the intersection of things. So um, draw on that yourself. Encourage your team to draw on that, and I think you'll you'll do some pretty amazing, very innovative things. That's a fantastic answer. Um, okay, so I have one more question that's come from the audience. I'm going to throw it to you before I ask you the final question. Sure. Um, how did you, and I, I, I sort of understand what they're saying. So they're, how did you organize the involvement of, of the executive level so they could understand the experience of the learnings that you guys were getting? So did you bring them on any customer sort of visits, or did you, bring, did you demonstrate, or was it just strictly reporting to get them to? Yeah. So I think you know, if you could if you if you could do that, I think that's a great idea to be able to bring execs like into the field. Like um, I think in in some previous projects we did a little bit of that. Like, but in the context of um, we didn't do that in the context of like these next gen tools because like it's hard to get the CEO of like Adobe <laughs> time to like go visit like a specific you know, specific user in that way. Um, so if you can do that, that's great. Um, in this case, um, kind of do the next best thing, which is whenever we were kind of reporting, um, you know, typical kind of corporate reporting, you have your PowerPoint deck and a bunch of slides and a bunch of numbers and a bunch of bullet points. Um, you know, these are the new features that we worked on. This is the progress that we've made. This is our schedule. This is the timeline. Um, when instead, uh, as we were reporting on progress on these next gen tools, um, we would always uh, frame them in the context of a narrative. Right? And again, this is meta because like, I'm building a storytelling tool, so it's so weird that like I'm talking about like using storytelling to produce the storytelling tool. Um, but it, it's effective in that. So instead of talking about like, oh, here's the new features we added in, we would talk about like this is the story of a specific user that we have. Um, so one amazing organization we were working with from the get-go, um, I connect, I got us connected to a group called Groundworks Opportunities. Um, GoWorks.org. Um, there's great, it's a great local San Francisco nonprofit. It's kind of like a Kickstarter for causes in the developing world. Um, and so we would tell their story, right? Like, and this is like, this is the founder, um, and this is like, this is the problem that he had, and like, this is the solution, and like, this is how we used our product, like the beta, the alpha of our product to create this thing, and this is the result they got, and this is why, and he's coming back because of this. So like, they made like a gala explainer video, getting people to come, and like, they got like way more, like eight times more conversion on like this video that they made with our like beta tool. Um, and you tell that story to people, like with this protagonist and the challenge and the thing that they overcame and the lesson they learned and you know how they're coming back. Like it's really hard for, <laughs> it's really hard to, uh, to, to yeah. You're pretty much guaranteed to get buy-in when when you present people with that. And of course, like people, like the execs will then ask questions, and you can back it up with data and numbers. Um, but the lead is the story of the people that you're helping. Um, and yeah, I think that resonates with with everyone. That's great. All right. Well, I'm really sorry that we're out of time because this is such an awesome conversation. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you one more question, and uh, you know what I'm going to ask you. It's all about how creative you really are. What are you going to be for Halloween? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, tricky. Um, so actually, my, uh, my partner has a his company has a, a Harry Potter Halloween party, um, and so we will be going as the Weasley twins. So I think I have a I, somewhere in this household we have an Amazon box with a can of uh, orange hairspray or hair color spray. 
so I'll be looking pretty different in a few days. <laughs> awesome. And it will be on Instagram, right? So We'll we see. We'll make some magic. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be on Instagram. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was great. And um, everybody that's listening and watching, you can see Tom at the Lean Startup Conference this fall where you'll really get to dig into some of the great um, ideas and tips that he has for this stuff. So thank you so much. I'm going to awesome. hand it back to you, Jeanette. Cool. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. Thanks to everyone for joining us today. This wraps up our show. Please join us again for the next webcast coming up real soon on November 2nd with Alexander Osterwalder, How to Design Lean Startup Culture. In the meantime, visit leanstartup.co for more information on the Lean Startup Conference November 16th through 19th in San Francisco. Bye, everybody. <laughs>